the rest of you guys with me in here, please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, which is found in page 842 of the Church Bible. Does anyone need a Bible this morning? If you keep your hand up there, we'll get Bibles to you. Should we get a Bible over there? Anyone else need a Bible this morning? Excellent. That's grand. Page 842 in the Church Bible, John chapter 10. Today will be our last sermon in John until after the summer. So we're going to stop today with John 10 and we'll pick up again in September. But over the summer, just with holidays and folk coming and going, we're going to do two brief series, one in the book of Ruth and one on the book of Jonah. So that's the plan for the summer, and we'll pick John up again when we get back together in September. And you all return with your suntans and your, your happy faces. Okay. <laughs> uh, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Marcus. <laughs> okay, John chapter 10, John chapter 10, verse 1 to 21. This is Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, he does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way. That man is a thief and a robber. But he enters by the door, is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow after them, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I said to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and in and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He is not a hired hand. He is a hired hand, sorry, is not a shepherd. He sees, he doesn't own the sheep, and he sees a wolf coming and flees. The sheep are scattered, and the wolf snatches them. He flees because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was a fight amongst the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon, he's insane, why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of a man who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Good question. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray just again as we start. Lord, we gather again, Sunday by Sunday. We come from many backgrounds, many homes, many families represented, but we gather before one Lord, one Saviour, 
So I pray that you would take me and hide me behind him. That Jesus would be heard in the words that I say, Lord. That you would speak with clarity through me and through your word this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. That nothing will be in vain. That nothing will fall to the wayside. And that you will give us ears to hear not what I'm saying, but what you're saying to your people. We need our shepherd. We need to hear from him. We need to receive his word and be fed. So gracious Lord, that takes an act of your spirit. So come Holy Spirit and glorify Jesus in our midst, we pray for his name's sake. Amen. It is apparently the worst opening line in history, but it was a dark and stormy night. And the man was out on the hillside, in outside the hills of Bethlehem. And he was out there in the storm and the wind and the rain, and it was pitch black. There was no street lights. There was nothing but the light of the moon, which was hidden by the clouds passing overhead. And as he was out there, he was a wee bit nervous. He was quite a, a brave looking chap, but he was only 17 years of age. In fact, younger, probably about 15. And he was left in charge of his father's property. And he was responsible for each one of those property. As he was out in the hills at night in the darkness, hearing every sound, every creak, every movement, his nerves got more and more and more. And, and he was tense. He was an edge. And then, bang, all of a sudden, a wolf jumps out. What's he do? Does he run? Most people would run. But he attacks the wolf. He fights with it. And he slays it. He puts his life on the line for the sheep. And that was one of the reasons why David was qualified to take on Goliath. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, when he was talking to King Saul, he said, Saul, I have been trained in the art of warfare, not in, not in any of those military schools, but out in the hillside looking after sheep, fighting with bears and wolves. He put his life on the line for the sheep. And all throughout Scripture, there's a rich tradition of shepherding, is there not? When God called Moses to be the savior of the people at that time, where was he? He was in the wilderness, what? Looking after sheep. When Amos was called as a prophet, what was he? He was a shepherd. David himself was a shepherd boy who became king. And then even in the New Testament, when the angels come to big tidings of great joy, who do they go to first? The shepherds. There's a rich tradition of shepherding in the Bible that flows from Genesis all the way through to that beautiful verse in Revelation, which we'll keep for the end of the sermon, so you have to stay awake. <laughs> There's this image of shepherding, of looking after sheep that qualify God's people to be leaders. And I thought about that because Moses was trained in the schools of Pharaoh. He was trained in statecraft. He was trained how to do foreign treaties and to be a political leader. But it wasn't that that qualified him. It was looking after sheep. Now, I don't know, has anyone in this room ever had experience of being a shepherd or working in sheep farms? No? One, Alistair, we one, one or two. Sheep are the most daftest wee creatures that God ever created. They are the most incompetent animals ever to look after. I remember once out in the farm with a sheep, one of these sheep, there was about 20 of them walking in a row, falling along, and one of the sheep got startled and jumped up into the air and down. Which was fine for that sheep, but then all the other sheep started copying it. So this imaginary thing that scared the sheep, they all started, they're daft. If a sheep gets its head stuck in a bit of barbed wire and you try and rescue it, the thing starts biting you. 
They're vicious wee creatures too as well. You think they're cuddly and warm and friendly. They're not. They're disease-ridden and they're only good for pork or for mint chops. <laughs> but sheep, defenseless, a prey to wolves and predators, needing firm guidance. Richard read the scripture from Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. If anyone has any experience with sheep, they frequently go astray. So all these imageries flow richly into this passage, which is the culmination of a lot of scriptural thought, a lot of scriptural tradition. John here is also borrowing from Ezekiel 34, which is a passage where God himself comes and denounces the shepherds of Israel. God calls his leaders shepherds because he expects them to look after the flock, to feed them, to lead them, to protect them. But the, the religious leaders in Ezekiel's day hadn't done that. And so God, in the midst of denouncing them in Ezekiel 34, gives this beautiful promise that one day he will come. And he will shepherd his people. And he will stand in the strength of the Lord. And he will gather his flock. And he will lead them on. And so we come to John 10. The context of the passage last week was the healing of the blind man. What a remarkable miracle that was, wasn't it? If you weren't here last week, you missed a treat. Read it today when you go home, not because of the sermon, but because of the scripture. It was brilliant where Jesus hears a man who's blind from birth and gives him sight for the first time. I love his testimony. I once was blind. Well, that's actually John Newton, but that's part. I don't have my sight, and now I do. Jesus gives him sight, a gift of sight. And so the Pharisees start fighting, and they start accusing Jesus of being a demon-possessed or being mad or being this person who's just blown in from the sticks and is causing all sorts of chaos. So in the midst of this row, Jesus then turns and uses this illustration to them, John 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, verse 1 to 6 here. He tells us about his master's voice. How many of you remember HMV? HMV. It's crazy how all the stores are gone like that. Was, it was brilliant for Christmas presents, wasn't it? I go into HMV and get all my Christmas presents sorted. What's the image of HMV? It's the Jack Russell listening to the gramophone, isn't it? Which was supposed to be the founder guy's voice. And the dog was confused. Why is his voice coming out of a machine? His master's voice. Here in verses 1 to 6. Jesus teaches us a lesson which we need to hear. Because God has not been silent. People ask us, where is God? Why doesn't he speak? Why doesn't he say? And God has not been silent. His word pours forth. It pours forth, as the psalmist tells us, in the beauty of creation. It testifies to a creator God. Psalm, the beautiful psalms, you know, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Paul says this in Romans. But even more than that, he has come in the form of his son to speak words to us. And Jesus here talks about how his voice needs to be heard. Not assuming what he says, not guessing what he says, but actually listening to what he says. How many of us have ever had conversations where the other person just isn't listening? It's frustrating. I see some husbands and wives looking at each other there, but on. It's frustrating when you're, you're trying to tell somebody something there. Oh, they're, you know, you hear the music behind their head and they're off somewhere. Or do you know what's a real pet peeve of mine? When you go... You go into a place and you go up to the reception desk and you're about to talk to the receptionist and she picks up the phone. Like you're there in person. Why? Anyway, sorry. Paul was not the place for me to complain about that. Not listening. Jesus had this in his ministry. He came from heaven above. He came into the world. John tells us again, John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is the introduction and the foundation of the whole book and themes flow from that. In the beginning was the Word. The Word. And the word was with God and the word was God and all things were made through him. Not anything was made that was not made. And he came in to the world. 
and the world did not receive him. And he came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. They wouldn't listen to him. The Pharisees were so clever, so versed in Scripture, so rich in theology that they'd done away with the need to actually listen to God. That's a scary place to be, isn't it? His master's voice, Jesus comes and he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, there is a sheepfold. There is a place where God's people are saved. If you were in the Middle East in those days, they didn't have massive farms like we do. They had, basically it was like communal farming. Have you ever, anyone ever been to Israel? It's quite a small country and a lot of the land is subdivided. It's a bit like Ireland too. Um, the land's subdivided, there's not much. And so they pull together for resources sometimes. So if a shepherd has sheep, he doesn't have a massive amount of sheep. It's not commercial farming. He maybe has 20, 30 sheep. And so at night time, to keep them safe from the wolves and the bears, they bring them together in one massive pen. And they pay someday, I don't know, a tenner or something, to look after the gatefold to make sure nobody comes out. So there's one entrance into the sheepfold, this place of safety, and all the sheep go in. And if somebody climbs over the wall, what does that make them? Thief. God. I've just got the keys for, for Broadway there, and I'm always a bit wary for the first time when I move into a new place because the neighbors are looking at you like, is he breaking in or what's he doing? No, there's one entrance, and there's one door. There's one way in. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. He is the right to enter. He is the right to the sheep. The sheep are his, and he belongs, and they belong to him. The gatekeeper recognizes, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls them by name and leads them out. So what would happen in these sheep pens is it's an amazing thing to see. All these sheep are put together in one massive pen, kind of like you guys here in church today. This is our sheep pen, and you're all sheep. How do you feel about that? <laughs> See where we're going with that there. So maybe I'm rich. So this, you guys, you're my sheep. Sorry about the rest of you there. You guys are my sheep, but you're all mixed up together. So how do I get you out of the sheep pen? This is an amazing thing. This happens in the Middle East. The shepherd makes certain noises. And his sheep come to him. Isn't that amazing? It's not like, how many of you watch the sheep trials that they get from wheels where the dogs are around barking and yipping? It's really impressive to see, but they're being compelled by force. The shepherd speaks, and the sheep come to him. Kind of like children are supposed to, but never really do. <laughs> and they come out because they recognize his voice. And so these sheep pens, remember you've had about 100 sheep, five shepherds will gather, they'll speak, and the sheep will come to them. Not forced. Not dominated. Not whipped and beaten, but called by a gracious voice, and they respond. See how this parallels with John chapter 9, where the man who was born blind, he couldn't see a thing. And yet when Jesus spoke, he recognized something in that voice. He recognized his master's voice. The sheep come. And when he had brought out his own, he goes before them. Our image of a shepherd is somebody chases behind. But no, the sheep actually follow the shepherd there because they trust him. A stranger they will not follow. They'll flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus here is telling us firstly, as he opens this parable of the good shepherd, one of the key things of following the shepherd is to know his voice. A voice that we can trust. A voice that speaks in the darkness with assurance with authority, and with gentleness. My friends, how can we hear somebody's voice if we don't listen? And that was the problem of the Pharisees. 
They have built so many preconceptions. They built so many walls. They built so many ticklists. They put all these barriers up. Their pride threw up more barriers because they were the leaders. They were the shepherds of Israel. Who's this upstart from Galilee? And in their pride and in their blindness, they missed out on the Savior of the world. That's tragic, isn't it? I don't, dis- I don't, no way when sort of a bad guy appears and everyone boos and you're supposed to do that with the Pharisees, I don't feel that way towards them. I feel desperately sad for them. How tragic it would be to go through life and miss out on the voice of Jesus, who speaks clearly, who speaks now regardless of the preacher when his word is opened, he is speaking to you this morning, friend, not just the person beside you, but to you. Are you listening for your master's voice? for your shepherd's voice, for Jesus' voice. He's speaking to each one of you this morning. You, we sheep, who's maybe got your head stuck in the barbed wire, who's maybe been harried by forces and pressures this week that you just didn't expect. He's speaking to you this morning, his master's voice. And he speaks with such gentle assurance. I love this image of these shepherds. They're rugged men. That's why I started with the image of David there. I mean, these guys, our images of shepherds nowadays are kind of these sort of cuddly, warm figures. That's not a shepherd at all. They fight with bears and wolves. Jesus is strong. But he's also gentle. Sheep will respond to gentleness too. Psalm 18, verse 35, it's tucked away there. It's it's David's testimony of how God has dealt with him throughout his life. And one of the verses I love is verse 35, where it says, your gentleness has made me great. This shepherd whose voice speaks to us is the one who has also said to you, I am gentle and lowly in heart. All you are heavy laden. How many of us are heavy laden? We're not to put our hands up, aren't we? You're heavy laden. Come on to me and I will give you rest. His master's voice. He comes and reminds us we need to listen to what he is saying to us as he speaks through his word, which we have a record of here. As his voice goes out and he tells us what he is like. The next thing he does in verse 7 to 18 is he tells us the purpose for which he's come as a good shepherd. This shepherd is on a mission. He is not just hanging around. He has come for a purpose. Verse 7 there. Truly, truly, I say, I'm the door of the sheep. There's only one way into the sheepfold, and that's through Jesus. John will tell us this later on, John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Acts tells us this too. There is no other name under heaven by which anyone shall be saved but Jesus Christ. And in this age where everything is relative, in this age where everything goes, that is a very countercultural message. But friends, this morning there is only one way of salvation. And that is through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and resurrection. There is no other means of salvation. Not through Islam, not through Buddha, not through secular humanism, not through our own good works. There is one way. And that is through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I don't say that to be nasty or to belittle anyone. But I say it because it is a beautiful, beautiful way of salvation. Think about it. Every other religion in the world, what is the key thing that defines them? We have to do something. We have to go. We have to bring the mountain to us. Christianity, Jesus comes to us as the good shepherd. And he brings us home. His purpose is to come and see if he is the only way in, verse 7 to 9. All before me were thieves and robbers. He's talking about the religious leaders of Israel who did not act like shepherds. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, they will be saved. And they will go out and find pasture. Isn't that amazing? 
whoever trusts him, whoever receives him by faith, who repents of their sins and leans on him, they will be saved. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we go over these passages too quickly. Sometimes we deal with, as Richard said earlier on, we deal with these things so flippantly. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We are weak. He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. For the Bible tells me so. <laughs> Sorry, that's two van loads up and down to Scotland. I'll do that to you. He saves us. By his amazing grace and his amazing love, he takes us, even though we have fleas. Sheep are, sheep are amazing creatures for collecting all sorts of random things. We may come to him with fleas. We may come to him feeling we're covered in just stuff. He receives us just as we are. Doesn't leave us that way. He transforms us by his grace, but he receives us when we come in brokenhearted repentance. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not put out. Are you here this morning, friend? And you feel like your faith is a little web. Have you ever seen a smoldering wick? They're really nuisance things. They're sort of sputtering and smitting and they're putting smoke everywhere and it makes you sneeze. But the embers are going way down. And it's just like, in fact, bless him, Elton John kind of picked up the image with that song, Candle in the Wind. It seems like everything's against it. Smoldering wick he doesn't put out, but fans back into flame. You have a good gentle shepherd who loves you. His purpose is to come, give us a way into heaven, to repent of our sins, to turn from the chaos we brought upon ourselves. Secondly, he has come to give us life in its fullness. Verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is the devil's mission statement, to steal, to steal our joy, to steal our very lives, to kill and destroy. The wages of sin is death. My old pastor was out in Belfast once, and they were doing some witnessing in the streets, and they were sharing this passage. And one of the guys came up to him. He was quite angry. He was quite cross. And he said, I got a good life. I, I, I don't need your savior. I love sin. It's done me no harm. The pastor said to him, payday hasn't arrived yet. And when we look at this world of ours, how many times do we need to see that trying to do it our way, trying to follow our example, Trying to build things without reference to God just doesn't work. It causes more chaos and hurt and harm. Look at the state of our society at the minute. As we have more stuff, we have more emptiness in our souls. As we have more wealth generated by the economy and big business, we see more folk fall into poverty. As we see these things proclaimed, as people are finding their freedom in themselves, it isn't actually freedom at all, but a fresh prison. Steal, kill, and ultimately to destroy. Jesus comes that we may have life and have it abundantly. Some churches work really hard to hide this message, don't they? When you turn up on Sunday morning, it looks like some of them have been pickled in lemon juice all week, doesn't it? And so it's a bit hard sometimes when you say, Christian life is great, and they've got faces on them like, well, slapped backsides. It's, um, <laughs> sorry, that's a Northern Irish expression. I, <laughs> it's a bit tough. But it's true, isn't it? 
And this image goes out there that Christianity somehow is a straitjacket. It's this, this life of hardship, this life of, of law and regulation and burden and do this. Oh, friends, what's the old poem? The law tells me to do and die, but the gospel gives me wings that I might fly. When Christ gets into the soul of a man, when Christ gets into the soul of a woman, he brings freedom and life and joy and peace and goodness and the power of the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is anything but lacking. Do you feel that this morning? Amen, the wee man's with me, that's good. He comes to give us life. He gives us a way in, he gives life and the fullness. He comes, verse uh, verse, uh, 11 there, to beautify. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep there. Jesus here in describing himself the good shepherd. The Greek word there is actually an interesting one. Some translators translate it, I am the beautiful shepherd. But that doesn't quite capture it. I know it's summertime now and it's lovely having the heat and all that. But how many is love winter time? I love winter. One, I love snow. How many of you love snow? Yeah. I love snow and frost and I just love to see it. And I love being out, but know what's the best thing about a winter evening? You've been out in the snow all day, you've got frostbite, your ears are falling off. When you walk in the door and there's a beautiful fire roaring in the fireplace. How many of you love to see that? You come in from the cold and, and if, if you're really, if you're building a proper fire, it's got peat and turf. Oh, brilliant stuff. And you might even have a wee bit of toast. How many of you remember, how many of you remember roasting toast in the fireplace? There's no toast like fireplace toast, is there? And we, a big dollop of butter, none of this healthy stuff, a big slab of butter and strawberry jam. Brilliant. The Greek word for beautiful and good is that. It's like that idea of an attractional warmth in a cold winter night. It's like a, a warm meal or a cup of tea in a long day. It's like a, a cool drink of water when you're absolutely parched. I am the attractive, the good, the wholesome, the, the wonderful shepherd. The Greek word actually struggles to contain the descriptions for Jesus there. And Paul talks about this here and he says, whatever is lovely, whatever is beautiful, whatever is good, whatever is wholesome, it's actually found in Jesus. Not only has he come to give us a way in and salvation, not only has he come to give us life and its fullness, but he himself as a person is beautiful. It's wonderful. Do you notice how the Pharisees can't describe their faith like that, can they? But David, when he writes the Psalms under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, can. How beautiful, O Lord, is your dwelling place. How lovely is the Lord of hosts. I want to sit in the Lord's temple and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Do you see how Jesus comes not only to save and rescue us and then give us life in its fullness, which would be enough if it was that, but he comes to fully to give us himself. This shepherd comes that we may know him, be in relationship with him, have fellowship with him personally, the living, loving, beautiful shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. This is no flash in the pan commitment. This is no Jesus is going to pick us one day, then give up. No, he gives his very life for us. He is the beautiful, good shepherd. Do you know him like that? As his voice goes out to you this morning, and it's not because of me, Preachers, preachers are wonderful drain pipes. That's what we are. We carry the life of the Spirit through us and out of us. He is speaking to this morning, nor me. And he's saying to each one of you, if you've been a Christian for years, come and renew your love in the beautiful shepherd who loved you and gave himself for you, who has come to give you life in its abundance. 
who primarily comes to set you free. He doesn't ask you first and foremost to do something for him. He asks you to respond to his love for you. How many of us like to be told to do something? Go and do the dishes. Great's on you, doesn't it? Maybe it's my Celtic nature, but when somebody tells me to do something, I want to do the opposite. Well, I'm not doing that. Especially when traffic lights tell you you have to stop. No. <laughs> and how we sometimes build our faith like that, don't we? We know we're saved by grace, but then we think we have to live by doing to maintain the Christian life. And so in our prayers, have you ever noticed this when you start praying? And you're, you've got a really good day of prayer and you're in love with the Lord and you're praying and the prayers just come, but the next day it's a bit trickier. So you try and start a di- di- discipline into your prayer and say, right, I must pray, I will pray. After you've done that for a while, the love starts to go, the joy starts to go. Has anyone else found that in your prayers? Like it's good to have discipline, there's a mixture in the Christian life. But when you start focusing on what you have to do and forget who you're with or who you're praying to, that's when the problems come in. And so the Christian life primarily is first coming to him, going through the only way of salvation, the only way back to God the Father, which is through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no other way of salvation. Salvation which is free and rich and abundant and generous, which forgives us all our sins. He gives us life in its fullness through the power of the Holy Spirit, who is beautiful in himself. He is the good shepherd, the shepherd beautiful, the one who has come to show us the very heart of the Godhead. Verse 16, look at that there. I have other, oh, that's the wrong verse. Verse 15. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Jesus is the exact image of the invisible God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christ is the window into the heart of the Trinity. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. If you want to know how God loves, look to Jesus. If you want to know how God deals with sin, look to Jesus. If you want to know how God deals with anything, look to Jesus. He is the exact image and he shows us the heart of the Godhead. And that is an intimate, personal relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which we, look at verse 14, can enter into. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. You can know the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through the Holy Spirit, through the power of his word, in the same way that Jesus knows the Father in heaven. Now, that's a relationship that will take us all eternity to figure out because we will never exhaust the mind or the riches or the depths of God, but we can know God, the one who made us, the one who gives us purpose in life, the one who is our redeemer and the one we will ultimately go home to. He's the way in. He gives life and the fullness. He is beautiful. He comes to show us God himself. Hey, what other knowledge would you want? Charles Spurgeon, in the opening sermon of the New Park Street pulpit, quoted this thing where he talked about how God is like a vast ocean. And how preachers and how all of us are just paddling around in the shallows and we will spend all of our lives diving into the depths of the wisdom of the knowledge of God and his love for us. Paul says that in Ephesians as well. Does he not? Oh, to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. That I may be rooted and grounded in such love. That I may be filled with all the fullness of God. Does that ever stagger you, that? Do you ever feel like you're fit to burst sometimes? 
that we would be filled with the fullness of the knowledge of God. 2 Corinthians, the light of God is shone in our hearts to show us the light and the beauty of Christ. And we are transformed from one degree of glory to another into his likeness. What were you made for? What is your purpose in life? Is it to pay taxes to HMRC? Is it to do the nine to five? What's that book? Eat, pray, love, sleep. Is, is that what we're made for? No. We were made to know and enjoy and delight in the love of God forevermore. A love which will never stop. A love which isn't fickle. A love which isn't like the weather. A love which is constant and unchanging. We were made to delight in the knowledge of God to be in his presence forevermore. This same shepherd who has come to show us God is the same shepherd who will bring us home. In Revelation chapter 7, these words are used to describe the shepherd king. They will be before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits in the throne will shield them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. Jesus' character doesn't change. When he reveals himself as the good shepherd, that is it for eternity. As Martin Luther says, what a word to describe our savior. In that we have everything, our shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. That's our Jesus. That's who we gather to worship this morning. That's our good shepherd, the one who has given us salvation, who comes to give us life in all its fullness, not drudgery, but the joy of the Lord is our strength to beautify, to show us God, to bring his people together. There, look, as he's got sheep of the other folds. Guys, that's us. When Jesus was preaching this, he was preaching to the lost sheep of Israel. But verse 16, that's LBC, not just, just us. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. There will be one flock, one shepherd. I love seeing the church gathered together. I love seeing all of your faces. Even when you're asleep or making funny faces at me. I love, Joe, it's great being up here in the pulpit because some of you guys think I can't see you. I can see all of you. I will... <laughs> I love seeing the body of Christ gathered together. How, where else in the world would you get a room like us? I mean, really. If you try to divide us up by politics, I'm not going to start that. Could you imagine the fights we'd have over politics? So let's set balls excited. Let's, let's divide us up by, by, by income stream. We're all from different income streams. Let's divide us up. How many, how many folk in this room are from Ireland, Northern Ireland? We've got a few. How many are from Scotland? Oh, amen. God bless you. How many are from England? Ah, oh, it's good to have you with us. <laughs> How many of our sisters are from Nigeria? Got a few. I'm going to leave somebody out and I'm going to get told. How many are from Welsh? A Wales. We always forget the Welsh. Sorry, guys. Sorry, Barnabas. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so we can't even be divvied up by where we're from. But we are here. Because the shepherd has called us individually and personally with that gentle voice to receive his salvation and we sit together as one people. And this happens all across the world. Ephesians 2 has broken down the dividing wall of hostility through his cross between Gentiles and non-Gentiles. And every tribe, tongue and nation will one day sit before the lamb, the shepherd king. United, not by nationality, not by language. Is it going to be great in heaven? I can't wait to learn all the languages in heaven. What language do you think they speak in heaven? Aramaic, Hebrew, Welsh. Welsh? Oh no. <laughs> Dioc. <laughs> Doesn't actually say there's a common language. 
Do you have a revelation? There will be many languages, tribes, and tongues around the throne. Now, we all know it's going to be Northern Irish to speak, but that's, that's... So we're not even united by language. We're united by Christ. I think I've shared with you the story before when Mal and I were in Romania. Forgive me if I have, but we were in Romania and we were asked to preach in one of the churches out in the villages in Romania, and it was, it was an area that had nothing. I mean, it, there was literally nothing but this wee church. And we came out, and there was about 20 folk there, and there were some of the Romanian babushkas who are great. You wouldn't mess with them, guys. You know those ladies with the tie scarves and lovely ladies, about 20 of them. There's a few guys from the, from the school and stuff, and we were preaching with a translator. And they asked Malin to sing. And the only song that she knew was on her heart at the time was In Christ Alone. And it's a beautiful song, isn't it? I mean, it captures everything. In Christ Alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. And she started singing this in English. And as she started singing it in English, something beautiful happened. The Romanians started singing it in Romanian. Though they had no idea what we were saying. I had certainly no idea what they were saying. But we were united by Jesus. One shepherd, one flock. The unity of the body of Christ is held together by him and it's essential. So not only has our shepherd come to give us this life, to give us this joy, to give us this love, to lay down his life for us, he has also got all our sheep of the fold he needs to bring. And that's where we come in. As we see later on in John, we follow the example of the good shepherd. For not only is our saviour, but he is the pattern for which we too go out and serve in the Christian life. Philippians 2 do not consider yourselves, have the mind of Christ among you. He did not kind of call with God something to be grasped, but made himself a servant to the point of death. You go and do likewise. If we want to see the church grow and flourish, we are sent out by the good shepherd as sheep under the power of his spirit to bring other sheep home to him too. His master's voice goes out. His purpose is clear that he is the way of salvation to give us life in the fullness to bring beauty to our lives as the good shepherd, to show us God, to bring his people together from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And all this is sealed and testified by his death. Verse 16 and following. I have our sheep this fold who will come. And for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. Jesus' death was not a tragic accident because of Roman politics. It was not a hero's martyrdom. It was his purpose to go to that cross to give his life as a ransom for us, to save and redeem us. As we will remember at this table shortly, this is the personal testimony that everything Jesus said is true and affirmed and sealed by his blood on the cross. Does this all sound too good to be true? It's not. He gave his life, and even better than that, his life was taken up again when he rose from the dead three days later, alive forevermore. The shepherd completed his mission. He has opened up the door of salvation for all who would trust and believe in him, and he is calling us to follow him, or he's calling some of us to come home to him for the very first time. But the choice of how you respond, brothers and sisters, is yours. Verse 19. There was a fight amongst the Jews again because of these words. How many times did these guys have a fight? I mean, we've got to John chapter 10, and every chapter they're having a fight. But again, it gets back to listening to the master's voice, doesn't it? They're so busy listening to each other, they forget to hear him. 
friends this morning, perhaps you've come, and this sounds so countercultural, doesn't it? To hear of somebody who would lay down his life for you, who would make the ultimate sacrifice for you, who would not value this world more than the love he had for lost people. Everything in this world is about me at the minute, isn't it? I want. I can. I want this. I want that. Our whole celebration this month has been about the subject of pride. And all the issues caught up in that, I don't want to stumble into it insensibly, but the same thing, it is saying something that our culture's natural religion is self. Is it not? I, I, I. Jesus comes and lays down his life for others in love, in grace. Friend, if you're here this morning and all this sounds called to culture, that's because you're hearing about Jesus, the Son of the living God who's come to save, redeem, and rescue you. Will you respond to him this morning? His offer of salvation is today to you. If you will repent and believe, he will receive you. He will save you. He will give you life. A Christian friend this morning, perhaps you've grown weary. Perhaps the Christian life has, has, has got hard. You're stumbled into some thickets or some thorns and you feel tangled up, you feel all over the place. When was the last time you sat down and listened to him? Be still and know that he is God. Let us pray. And in the praying, let us respond to the Lord in our own ways. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He takes us and makes us lie down in green pastures of the abundant life. He leads us by still water so that we can drink and be refreshed. He restores our soul so that even though outwardly we feel like we're jars of clay, inwardly we have the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He leads us and we follow him in paths of righteousness. In this world of difficulty and hard choices, we thank you, Lord, that we have one who leads us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And even though we walk through the valley of deepest darkness, a darkness that seems oppressive, a darkness of fear, a darkness of anxiety, a darkness that disorientates, darkness that perhaps is the final one. We will fear no evil, for you are with us, Lord. Your rod and thy staff, they bring us comfort because we know you are strong to save, that your word is yes and amen, not if and but. And so you comfort us. And even if we do walk through that final veil of darkness, we come out on the other side into your presence where there's a table spread for us to welcome us home, to have fellowship with you. You anoint our head with oil. Our cups actually overflow. But until that day, we know that your goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. And we shall dwell ultimately in the house of our God forever. 
Amen.